Welcome to CityGraceNY.com. Thank you for listening to this message recorded live at City Grace Church. Um, let's pray. Lord God, would you speak to us, Lord, through your word? Would you help the gospel to come alive for us afresh? Lord, we take a few moments today to think about the crucifixion of your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, this is, we know from scripture, this is the most important, central, world-changing thing that you've, ever, that you've ever done. Lord, it's the most important thing. And so today, Lord, I pray that our hearts would be open and um, that this gospel message would hit home uh, in each one of our hearts personally and that it would be something that we understand on a new level, something that moves us, something that gives us hope and encouragement for all that we face in our lives and hope for this world as well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, I had the opportunity to go on a pastor's retreat um, earlier this week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and we spent just tons of time uh, worshiping and hearing from really great speakers. So if I, if I seem a little bit fired up today, then I apologize. But uh, hopefully it is the spirit moving in me, and, uh, and it's all good. Something interesting that they would do, too, because they had a lot of speakers, they were on a very... Uh, a very specific timeline, and so they would give each of the speakers about 20 minutes. And so, as they would get to be like 18, 19 minutes, the the worship leader would like sneak up on stage and then start playing. And like, so that was the cue that the speaker had to um, wrap it up so that they could get ready for the next guy. But uh, there was an evening, Tuesday evening, actually, John Tyson, uh, who you know, probably some of you know, pastor of Church in the City, he gave such an encouraging word and just challenged us to have hope for what God could do in New York. And he kind of called, called us out, called pastors out, called Christians out on a kind of apathy where we tend to look at our lives and the world around us and we're just not that hopeful that things would ever really change or that God could do something truly dramatic in our time. And man, he, he pushed us and challenged us and said, you know, God is the God of the impossible and God has moved dramatically in history, uh, even in, within our own time. And I'm sure many of you know about the Fulton Street Revival. And, you know, what set the stage for revival? How was it that um, in such a short time, you know, the Spirit of God swept through Wall Street and 50,000 business people converted to Christianity? And, it, you know, that reverberated throughout the region and throughout the United States. And he pointed out that, you know, some people think Jeremiah Lamphere, this pastor, or sorry, this business person, that he just decided to go to prayer one day and, you know, invited other people to, to join with him. But that, that's actually not the case. Like, this guy was really desperately seeking the Lord's power in his life in the city. He, using his own money, he went and printed out 10,000 tracts. I mean, this guy was downtown, you know, in the business area, just passing out tracts to everybody he knew, just urging people to cry out to God during the, the noontime prayer meetings that they would have every day. So there was preparation and work went into it. And so John's point was, listen, you know, Pastor, we, we could see a revival in our time, but God is looking to see altars of prayer. And that's sort of what stuck with me even till today. So I'm using up my 20 minutes already by telling you about this. So it's, it's valuable. Uh, but God wants to see altars of prayer, right? Every home, every person desperately crying out for God, seeking God, 
every church working together. There was another big part of his message was just churches working together. And I was encouraged by that because, you know, Pastor John, he, the guy is wildly successful and he could be all about just his own ministry, his own church. But he has, he's got a much bigger vision of that. And so some of you, maybe you're familiar with Pray NYC, which is like a new prayer um, a, a prayer ministry coming out of Church of the City. Their, their vision is not just to work with their own church, but to work with churches across the city and just to, to get people praying. So, man, I was, I was really jazzed up and I was pumped and I was encouraged. And it, 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 it said to me, you know, we need to pray not just on the defensive. God help me. God protect me. God keep me safe from all the, the stuff that's in the world. But we need to take the offensive. We need to take the battle to Satan. And we need to pray for God to move in power. And I'm, I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. I mean, even today, I feel like as we were worshiping, there's, there's, something, there's something new happening. There's just an eagerness and a thirst and a desire. I think those are all good things. And we should, keep, we should keep feeding that. That's good stuff. You know, we should keep praying into that. And what we've had is just a taste. It's just a taste. And there's so much more out there that, could, that God could do. So let's just keep seeking God, right? So we are on the... Uh, Used up four minutes. Okay. So we are on the, and I told Yuri, if I go along, just come up and, and knock me off. So we're on the Apostles' Creed. Why? Well, because the Apostles' Creed is probably the oldest sort of summary statement of the Christian faith outside of the scripture itself. Uh, it is not literally written by the Apostles, but it's a summary of the Apostles' teaching. So if you remember it, say with me the, the beginning couple lines, right? If you remember, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. And then for today, he suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. Good. So we're doing that section today. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and buried. And we want to talk about this because this is so central to what Christianity is all about. The gospel, in a nutshell, is the very simple truth that Jesus was the Son of God, that he suffered, that he died, and that he rose again from the dead. That's it. Now, uh, the Apostle Paul, you know, was really big into the gospel. And the Apostle Paul went out through the Mediterranean world and current day Turkey and Greece planting churches. And he wrote a church, wrote a letter to one of his churches, which was in Corinth. And he is addressing them because in Corinth there was a situation where there was lots of infighting and squabbling and disagreements and factions in the church. And so he's reminding them about the gospel. And he says something very interesting. I have it on the screen, verse First uh, Corinthians 2.2, 2, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I knew nothing while I was with you. My message to you, what I told you, Corinthians, I'm paraphrasing, over and over and over again, Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's my message. Can you imagine? Imagine like, you know, you're, you're, you're in Corinth, you're just a kid. Hey, Apostle Paul, what are you going to talk about tonight? Going to talk about Jesus Christ and him crucified. Apostle Paul, what are you talking about in synagogue on Saturday? More Jesus Christ and him crucified. Apostle Paul, what have you been thinking about recently? Jesus Christ and him crucified. Apostle Paul, how come you're not married? Jesus, Jesus Christ and him crucified. This was a guy who had a one-track mind. It was all he cared about was Jesus Christ and him crucified. That was his message. Why was that message so important for him? And he says elsewhere that the, the, the gospel message is the power of God for salvation unto everyone who believes. 
So the reason this, God, this, this essential gospel message, what we read about in the Creed today, which we confess, the suffering of Christ, the death of Christ, and then eventually Pastor Jesse or Pastor John will preach about the resurrection of Christ. Why is that so central? And the reason is because it is by believing this bare bones, essential message, the death and resurrection of Christ, that the Spirit of God moves and brings us into the family of God. It is by believing the gospel message that we experience salvation. That is, that's it. That's the reason. Because that is the way. It's by believing that, that we are counted among the family of God, the children of God. So you can imagine how essential and how important this is. And I'm going to, at the end of my message, if I don't run out of time, I'm going to challenge you to think personally if this is something that you have owned, you have affirmed this. Is it a message that resonates with you? It speaks to your heart. It gives you joy and gives you hope for the future. So we, we in the creed, we confess a Savior who has suffered under Pontius Pilate, we confess a crucified Savior, and we confess a Savior who has died. Let's just look at each one of those a minute. I want us to, you know, as we, we, we say this creed, so I would like for us not to do it mindlessly, but when we affirm the creed, that the, the historic teaching of the church, that we have a, a real deep sense of what exactly it is that we mean when we say these things. When we say he suffered under Pontius Pilate, when we say you know, he was crucified and died. What, what is that all about? Okay, so first off, Pontius Pilate. Now, I don't know about you, but <clears throat> I think it's actually very strange that Pontius Pilate is in the Apostles' Creed. I mean, the Apostles' Creed is not that long. And uh, it's about God primarily. And the only other non-God person that's mentioned in the Apostles' Creed is who? Mary. Mary. So you got Pontius, you know, you got God, you got Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and then you got Mary, and then you got Pontius Pilate. So that's, that's definitely, obviously, is a significant place in history, in the history of Christianity, if his name makes it into the creed. You see what I'm saying? So what is so significant about Pontius Pilate? Well, the, the Jewish leaders, they wanted to execute Jesus, but the problem was that in ancient Israel, it was not legal for the Jews to execute anybody since they were in occupied territory, uh, they're part of the Roman province of Judea. So if the Jews want to execute anybody, they have to get permission from the, uh, from the Roman authorities to do so. So the people, they brought Jesus up on these trumped-up charges. Uh, you know, they're accusing him of blasphemy, accusing him of disorderly conduct, and they want uh, to kill him, so they can't do it themselves, so they take him to Pontius Pilate. Now, Pontius Pilate is the Roman-designated governor. He's the highest ruler, you know, representing the Roman authority in that part of the world. But by appealing to Pontius Pilate, essentially what the, what, what the, the Jews have done is that they have brought in the highest possible level of power and authority to make a a judicial decision in this particular case. So when the scripture mentions that Pontius Pilate is the one who at the end of the day, he convicts Jesus to be crucified. So Jesus is suffering under Pontius Pilate. He's being judged by Pontius Pilate. What that really represents, because Pilate represents the Roman government and the authority, what this means is that Right? And there's nobody bigger than the Romans in the first century. I mean, this is a world superpower. And what the creed is saying then is that Jesus, by suffering under, under Pontius Pilate, the largest, most powerful authority, governing body of the entire world decided that Jesus Christ 
was a criminal who needed to die. Do you see the, the significance of that? So, you know, I'm sure many of you heard, have heard of the International Criminal Court in The Hague, right? I mean, in The Hague, sorry. You know, they would only, you would only try somebody in a, in a court like that if this was somebody who had committed massive, massive crimes against humanity, right? This is for war criminals. So by bringing Pilate into the situation, right, and by bringing the Roman government and authority to put a stamp of approval on the death of Christ, they're essentially saying that this guy is as dangerous as a war criminal. He is such a threat and he is so evil that we must destroy him with the most powerful government body, the most powerful arm and weapon of the known world, crucifixion by Roman authority. And the irony here is that, you know, Jesus was, was the kindest and most loving person. Right? He gave himself for peace. And so there's a, there's a very twisted kind of irony here. And it just goes to show you what a great threat Jesus is to any establishment or to any order that thrives on systemic oppression and injustice and abuse of weak and minority people. That, that really is what's going on here. And so when we, when, we, sorry, when we confess Jesus Christ suffering under Pontius Pilate, suffering under Roman authority, we recognize that Jesus stands by all oppressed people, that he is the Lord of anybody who has ever experienced racism. He's the Lord of anybody who has ever experienced systemic injustice. Anybody who's ever been a victim of the system stands with Jesus because he himself was completely innocent and yet he suffered at the hands of the Romans. Jesus is the God of the oppressed and we know from scripture that he willingly went into this situation. We knew it, he knew exactly what was coming. He predicted it, he expected it, and yet out of his incredible, incredible love and out of his incredible sense of um, standing with or walking side the weak, the vulnerable, the oppressed, right? He goes through and experiences it all. So that's the first thing to, just to be thinking about. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. Secondly, he was crucified. Uh, what is the significance of crucifixion? Could it have been some other means of death? Like, was it important that Jesus, in his death, he had to die by crucifixion? So we, we confess in the creed, uh, death by crucifixion, what is the significance of that? So crucifixion, as many of you know, um, this is review for some of you, but maybe for some of you here, you've never really thought about this or learned about it. So let me just say a few words about that. But crucifixion was a particularly grotesque and inhumane way that the Romans especially used uh, to crucify, to execute their enemies. So crucifixion is for criminals, it's for insurrectionists, it's for anybody who wants to stand up against the power of Rome. Execu uh, crucifixion is the way that they do it. It is a humiliating form of death. So when they execute somebody, they strip the person down naked. They, they, they really, from the very beginning to the end, it's all about just disgracing and, and humiliating and bringing all kinds of shame on a person. So they strip the person down. The person has to carry their own cross. It's not only the crucifixion, but there's also the beating uh, and the, the humiliation that goes in anticipation, kind of leading up to the crucifixion. The crucifixion involves having your hands and your feet nailed to, to, a, pole, to a pole or to a cross of some sort. 
And so you're bleeding and you're in excruciating pain. Uh, but the thing with crucifixion is that you actually, you don't die from the loss of blood because you're up there and it's meant to be this long, painful, torturous, drawn out process. So uh, eventually the, the reason you die is from suffocation. You're standing on, a, your, 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 your feet have been nailed to the cross, your hands have been nailed. Eventually you just, you just give out and you can't even, you know, lift up your chest in order to get, to get a breath. And so your energy is completely drained um, and you die from, from uh, asphyxiation, from not being able to breathe. Meanwhile, uh, people will walk by, they'll, you know, to add insult to injury, you know, people will walk by and they'll mock you, they'll curse you, uh, and they'll, they'll make fun of you. So, so this, is a, this is a, you know, it's a horrible thing to endure, um, everything that Jesus went through. So what exactly is the, the purpose in all this? Like, what is, the, what is the meaning? So actually, to understand this, we need a little bit of context. And so look at John 3. Um, he says something very interesting, which kind of alludes to the significance of the cross. This is what he says. He says, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. So it's a very interesting illusion here that the gospel writers are saying to make sense of this, we actually have to go back. We've got to go back to the Old Testament because there's this weird, interesting story that happens in Numbers chapter 21. You can read about it on your own time where the people of God are in rebellion against God. And so venomous snakes come out of the wilderness and the snakes begin to uh, bite people. And so the people are crying out, God, rescue us from these snakes. So then God says, Moses, this is what I want you to do. I want you to cast a bronze snake and I want you to put it on a pole and I want you to lift it up in the middle of the camp so that everybody can see it. And then Moses, whoever comes and lifts up their eyes to the snake will experience deliverance just by looking at it. Just by looking at it. When they see the snake, that is their salvation. That is their healing. That is their liberation. That's being, them being set free. So what John is saying then is that somehow Jesus hanging on a cross works like that. It's that mysterious but simple at the same time, right? In the same way that that snake hung on the pole and all you had to do was, was look to it. You just had to see it. And that in that act of looking, that you experience salvation. And John says that is exactly what is happening with the cross. Jesus is up on the cross. He's experiencing that excruciating death. He's been lifted up for everybody to see. And you only have to look. Your eyes just have to see this. And when you see it and when you believe it and when you acknowledge that it's happening, that is the moment of your salvation. That is the moment of your healing and of your deliverance. It's looking to the cross Looking to Jesus. The idea of being pinned on a cross uh, on a tree, also there's meaning there too, because according to the scriptures, anything that hung on a cross was considered by God to be under a curse. Now, the interesting thing is that like in the Old Testament, there's no explanation for that. It just says if it hangs on a, if it hangs on a cross or hangs on a tree overnight, it's cursed by God. So it doesn't explain, but now with Christ, we actually see that it does make sense because Christ is hanging on a tree, literally hanging on a tree. And scripture writers say that in that hanging on a tree, he is 
under the curse of God. And so uh, this is in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. I think I also have this on the screen. Let us read this together, okay? Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. And so here, friends, we're beginning to understand right, the true meaning and the significance of the cross. It was horrible, right? It was, it, it, it was a, 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 an excruciating thing that Christ went through. Right? It, it shows us, I think, the, the full-blown ugliness of sin, right? Jesus hanging on a cross is our sin writ large. The, Jesus hanging on a cross is meant to show to us and to reveal to us Right? This is where rebellion leads. This is what sin and brokenness in the world looks like. This is what injustice, this is, the, this is, this is where it's all going, unless there's intervention. This picture, right? that's it. And yet the gospel writers are showing us, and the creed is alluding to this, that somehow this horrible picture is actually, at the end of the day, about our salvation. It is about God doing something for us, that we couldn't do for ourselves. And so that brings me to my, to my third and kind of final point um, after I have some closing comments. And that is this, that perhaps the most significant aspect of this picture of Christ dying on a cross is that in this whole horrible picture, in this whole horrible scene, that there is something amazing that is at work. And that is, 20 minutes, that is, that there is, Yuri's going to start coming up. There, there is an exchange happening. There's an exchange happening. And what we come to find out, and this is why we confess a crucified Lord, a crucified Savior, is because on the cross, Jesus is actually taking something off of our shoulders and experiencing it for himself. He's taking our guilt, our shame, our death, and he is dying to it in order that by just by looking to him like the snake, we can experience salvation. That's the, that's the miracle of it. So I think this passage in Colossians really captures it well. Let me, let me read it to you. I have it on the screen. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish, and free from accusation, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. We have all, in various ways, every single human has fallen short of God's glory. We have broken God's commandments. And because of that, we've come under the wrath of God. I wish that God, and I'm sure God wishes too, that he could simply snap his fingers and like, you're forgiven. It's a done deal. No problem. We'll just call it, you know, we'll call it a day. We'll, we'll turn a corner and everything is good. But the thing is, it just doesn't work like that, right? right? God is a holy God. He's a righteous God. And not only that, but God profoundly, profoundly loves the world he's created. And he loves us as well. And so... How can God simply stand by when we destroy that which God loves? So I, I think that as difficult as it is sometimes to think about the wrath of God, wrath is a consequence of love. 
Right? Nobody can get me more mad. It's not my wife, don't worry. Nobody can get me more mad than my kids. Why? Because I love my kids so much. The other day, um, Eli, he was lagging behind and he ran out into the street, even though he had a red light, without even looking. I freaked out on him. But I freaked out on him and he saw my wrath and some other New Yorkers also were like, whoa, what's with this guy? <laughs> he experienced my wrath, but it's not a, it's not a I want to kill you wrath. It's a, I love you. I don't want to see anything happen to you wrath. That's the wrath of God. It's, it, it's the flip side of love. See, but the wrath is on us because of our rebellion, because we've all contributed to the breakdown of this world in large ways and small. And yet on the cross, we see God, he needs to do something about this sin. The wrath has to be executed. But because this is the miracle of the gospel, because of his love for us, he bears the cost on his own shoulders rather than punishing us. That's the exchange. He lifts it up off of us. He experiences death in our place. Why? So that we can have life simply by looking to Jesus. I love, I read this um, quote from Chuck Swindoll. Jesus tilted his head back, pulled up one last time to draw breath and cried, Tetelestai, that's not a car. It's, uh, it means it is finished. Tetelestai, Greek. It was a Greek expression. Most everyone present would have understood. It was an accounting term. Archaeologists have found papyrus text receipts with tetelestai written across them, meaning paid in full. With Jesus' last breath on the cross, he declared the debt of sin canceled, completely satisfied. Nothing else required. Not good deeds, not generous donations, not penance or confession or baptism or, or nothing. The penalty for sin is death, and we were all born hopelessly in debt. He paid our debt in full by giving his life so that we might live forever. Isn't that incredible? You know, the, the cross, I think, it helps us realize how ugly our sin is. We tend to be somewhat, we sin and I oh, just, you know, whatever, kind of turn a blind eye to it. But the cross says this is what your sin really looks like. This is the end result of sin. This is where it leads. And so there is an aspect of the cross that confronts us and, and wants to convict us and say, when we lie, when we murder, when we lust, right? these are the things that brought Jesus to the cross. But don't stay there. Because not only are we convicted, but we also see in the cross that God would stop at nothing to remove our guilt from us. He loves us. He loves us profoundly. And through the cross, he lifts that off of our shoulders, takes away our guilt, takes away our shame, so that we can be healed and have new life. The cross is the victory of God over sin, revealing his heart for a broken creation. So what does this all mean for us? You know, Christians in America, I think the world kind of holds them suspect a little bit. Like the world's not quite sure what to make of Christians. They're, they seem a little judgmental sometimes. They seem a little, um, they want to grab power. They want to fix the world. They want to make things back the way they used to be when Christians were more, you know, had more of influence in society and stuff like that. 
But I think that if we look to the cross, we recognize our Savior is not a white, rich, alpha male. That's not our Savior. He's an ethnic minority living in a persecuted place. He's a hardworking son of a carpenter who lived a selfless life. This is our Messiah. This is our Savior. And, and wouldn't that change the way the church acts to the surrounding society? Because if we try to witness in the way that Christ witnessed, it's not by trying to take power. It's not by judging. It's not by trying to force people to do anything. But rather, he models, Yuri, you're doing good, man. Keep it up. <laughs> he, he models selfless willingness to die for his enemies. That's, that's our role model. That's our role model, not an alpha male, but it's somebody who, 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 who lives. It's like a woman giving birth, going through pain and suffering, giving of herself so that something new could be born out of that. That is our Lord. When we confess a crucified Savior, that, that's what we're talking about. You see, this is, the world needs that. It needs hope. It needs people who are not going to blame the world, not going to accuse the world, not going to judge the world, but say, you know what, we want to carry the sins of the world. It's a different, it's a completely radically different way than how the world is trying to fix things. So listen, today, um, there, there are two kinds of people, right? There are people who you hear the gospel message and it speaks to you, even though you've heard it a million times and something in your heart is happening. And the reason is, is because you've been born again. And the gospel message uh, resonates deep, deep down because you believe it. And the reason you believe it is because the Spirit of God has moved in your heart and has opened you up. It's regenerated you to accept this. And so it speaks to you. It nourishes your soul. It gives you hope. It gives you courage. And it gives you a sense of peace and forgiveness. That's one type of person. But there's another type of person. Um, and that, this might be some people in the room where you hear this, you kind of understand it, but it doesn't do anything for you. It just has no effect. You're like, yeah, I don't really, I see, what you're, I see what the pastor's saying, but at the end of the day, I'm not really sure what difference that makes for me. Now, if that's you, there's a reason, there's a reason for that. And the scripture says the reason is it's because you haven't been born again. In a sense, it's not your fault, right? Because this, this type of faith in the gospel message is not something that you, you can't like just conjure it up for yourself. You can't make yourself believe. I don't, I don't think you can make yourself believe. I think for that to happen, God's got to supernaturally open up your heart and, and cause you to desire to want it to happen. I, I think that's how it works. Um, and so what should you do if you find yourself in that situation? I have good news for you. And that's this. Look at, look at what it says in, in Revelation. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. God is looking for humble hearts. And I think what that means is that if you're open and if you are willing, Jesus says two things. I am at the door to your heart. I'm there. You might not see me. You might not feel me, but I am there. I'm at the door to your heart. If you open the door, promise number two, I will Come in and eat with you. I want to be in your life, he's saying. So it might not connect with you now, but I encourage you, be humble, be open, and realize that if you do open the door, he will come in. He wants to come in. He's there. He's waiting. So we're going to have a time of prayer, and I would just encourage everybody to um, just to, 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 to ask 
If, the, if you already know the gospel, you already believe the gospel, you know, we talk about being a gospel-centered community. That's one of the values we want for this new combined church. Ask God to just make the gospel come alive for you in a fresh way. This simple message, Jesus died, he rose from the dead. That is our salvation. That's it. It's so simple. And if you are not there yet today, that doorbell is ringing. It's not Jesus, I don't think. <laughs> but somebody's knocking on the doorbell to your heart. It wants to come in. Um, <laughs> pray, I pray that right now you could be open and just see, um, see what happens.